Today's sermon, and yes, we are finally. Have you guys been to any of our Matthew studies? No, it's been that long since we've actually been in Matthew. We actually are teaching through the book of Matthew just now, uh, but we had Good Friday, Easter, and I took about three weeks off, uh, but we're back in Matthew, and we are now in Matthew 12. Now, if you do have your Bible, please turn to Matthew 12, starting in verse 46. We will stick close to the scriptures um, this morning as we do study through the book of Matthew. Um, and I enti- entitled this um, message today, um, When People Just Don't Get It, or Jesus, Why Parables? So you can take whatever title you prefer. <laughs> Sometimes I give alternative titles. Um, and we are, of course, Matthew twelve forty six, and we will end with Matthew thirteen seventeen. So as we're all turning our Bibles and getting ready and getting cozied and prepared... We'll have a first slide, looking at some background information. It's always good, especially since it's been so long since we were last in Matthew, to catch up. We need to catch up. We need to learn and read things in context so we could really have a good understanding of what's going on. Um, and so in chapter 12 so far, I mean, I could recap the whole book of Matthew, but then that would be my whole Sunday morning service done. <laughs> so we can't do that, even though the temptation's there. But just going up to through chapter 12, uh, Jesus began to teach He's ministering, he's healing, uh, and he's dealing with some pretty tough topics, which actually is rattling the cages of some of the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and whatnot. Uh, one of the issues he dealt with and talked about is traditions, uh, specifically the Sabbath. Now, Sabbath was a, um, a, a command. To, to obey the Sabbath was a commandment by God, but the problem was um, the religious leaders at the time, namely the Pharisees, loved to add burden onto people. Love to add burden upon themselves. So they took a good principle, the Sabbath, spending time with God, right? Taking time from, from the ordinary world, ordinary craziness of life, and spending some time, as I said here, in the extraordinary, supernatural world. Spending time with Him. And now I believe that the supernatural world is just as real, the spiritual world is just as real as the natural world. I believe they both exist. And the reason why I believe that is because I believe in God. And God is a supernatural, He's a spiritual being. He's ultimate in power. And so we need to spend time with Him. In order to do that, we have to kind of get away from the, the rat race. And so it's a good commandment. All God's commandments are good. He wants good thing for His people. Uh, but the problem is, a lot of times people like to put burden upon themselves and upon other people, and they become legalistic. Stuart Gilmore talked a little bit when he, when he taught about legalism versus spirituality. And there's a contrast, a difference between legalism, doing things because you do or you don't, and, and you've been forced upon by various institutions or people, and being spiritual, just following God and doing what's right by God. And so Jesus was with his disciples. He was walking through the field. And he took a bit of grain off and they ate it. And the Pharisees saw that and said, you're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, no, we're not. <laughs> and this is where he starts dealing with traditions. And he looks at old traditions, new traditions. We looked at old traditions. We look at new traditions. And what are traditions? Uh, and, and, and traditions aren't necessarily within themselves good or bad, but they can be 
good or bad. You know, if they serve a purpose and the purpose is good, then yeah, traditions are good. Like, for instance, meeting to church, having communion and reading our Bible. There's certain things, worshiping God, that are just good. But sometimes they can go a bit, they can miss the mark. They can miss the purpose, the intention. What is this thing set out to do? And sometimes it kind of goes off track. And that's when traditions go a bit askew. And Jesus is dealing with that, how traditions sometimes go askew. And they become bad traditions. And you start dealing with old wineskins. And, and you dealt with, um, and you talked about how you take these old wineskins, put new wine, and it'll just burst, you know. And so we need to be flexible. And the, the, a good wineskin, a fresh wineskin, is very flexible. Uh, and that's the illustration he gave. And again, I'm dwelling too much in the background information because I love the book of Matthew. And I love what we learned and I want to talk about it, but we got to move on. Um, so with the the Sabbath. Basically, if we were to sum it up, God gave us the Sabbath to get to know Him, right? To spend time with Him, to be close to Him, so we won't forget Him in His ways, in His character, in His person, right? So it's all about getting to know God. But Jesus, He's the Lord of the Sabbath, and He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Why does He say that? Because to know Jesus is to know God. So there's the tradition fulfilled. If the Sabbath is to stop, the busy, ruckus world, to spend time with God, to get to know God, then we have Jesus before us. He is basically the Sabbath and his fulfillment. To know Jesus is to know the Sabbath, to know Jesus, to know God. So he fulfills the purpose, the plan, and the intention of the Sabbath. Um, The Pharisees don't like this because the Pharisees love their traditions. And to confront their traditions, to confront their ways, was an offense to them. So they begin to plot against him. And we saw that in verse 14 in chapter 12. They, they try to set a trap for him, and they'll set up several traps, and Jesus is just great at dealing with it. He's just flawless. Um, one of the, then after, you know, they, they try to set up a trap with them, this, this demon-possessed blind mute man who he heals, uh, they accuse him. Well, this power that Jesus uses from the devil, or Beelzebub. So they basically accuse Jesus, not being the Messiah, not being of God, but being of Satan. You know, and of course, we, we could see the, 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 just the blindness, you know, the, 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 the darkness surrounding. And of course, Jesus' diagnosis is this generation is wicked. It's calloused in its heart. Here is the Messiah. Here is Jesus before them, and they refuse to see him. So he heals the blind mute man. And then because of their calloused ways, because their calloused hearts and their, and their blindness and their, de- their deafness, which is ironic because he heals a blind mute man, but later on, he's going to talk about how this generation's blinded and can't hear. Okay? But it's a spiritual thing. They might physically be able to see and hear, but spiritually, they can't. And, and, and that's the reason why these Pharisees are calling Jesus the devil or the worker of the devil or saying, oh, he's doing these miracles because, you know, the devil. And so, but, but, but the irony is but they want to see more miracles. They want to see more signs. And he says, a wicked generation asked to see more. They're not satisfied with what's sufficient. They always want more. Bah, come on, Jesus, tickle our eyes, tickle our ears, give us, entertain us. And Jesus says, I don't, I'm not here to entertain. Jesus is here and he has a mission. And we're going to revisit that mission this morning. But he's already done enough. We've got enough evidence. We have enough proof. They have enough evidence. They have enough proof. Jesus' ministry is magnificent. He's done enough. The, the ask for more is just greedy. And so there's a problem here. And like I said, the problem is with the generation, with unbelieving people. The problem is the spiritual state of this, as he calls it, generation. Jesus is going to teach. He has taught. He's going to continue to minister, heal. 
and he's going to suffer and die, consequently conquering sin, conquering Satan, and conquering death. This is, next slide please, this is his mission. This is what he has to do. This is, this is what must be done. This is what Jesus is looking at. This is what he's telling his disciples. This is my mission. This is what I'm here to do. And this, no distractions. The Pharisees, I'm not going to let the Pharisees distract me by the playing their games. I'm not going to let anything distract me. I need to get to the cross. And on the way, I'm going to do what is prophesied, what is required, what was, what was foretold in scriptures by God. But that's my mission. I need to go. I need to do this. Nothing will stand in the way. Nothing else is more important to Jesus than to get this, his mission, which ultimately is the cross. To conquer Satan, to conquer death, to conquer and cleanse us from our sins. We've already dealt with this principle with the would-be disciples. If you remember, the would-be disciples like the one who came and said, I'll follow you, Jesus. And Jesus said, go sell everything and then, then follow me. And then he went away sad. Now, Jesus, I don't think Jesus was, 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 was bagging on the guy. I don't think he was being overly hard on the guy either. Because he was like, say, listen, if you want to follow me, this is my mission. I'm not interested in your business. I'm interested in my mission. You want to come? You're welcome to come. The guy said, I can't come. It's like my business. The other guy, he was hung up with, with, with family matters. Again, he's concerned about his dad. You know, my, my dad's old in age and I need to care for him. I don't think Jesus was dogging on him. I don't think he was being hard on him. He was being honest. He says, go take care of your dad then, basically. But I, but I can't stop. I cannot stop. I've got a mission, and I'm going for it. My disciples are those who are with me on this mission. So we've already dealt with this principle. And so there's a lot of things in life, in Jesus' life, in our life, that can slow us down, that can trip us up, that can get us off of our mission. What is? Have you thought about what your mission is? What's your vision life? Have you considered yourself a disciple? If you have not, please today count the cost of discipleship. Do as he said, pick up that cross and follow him. The cross, the cross is the instrument of death. Die to oneself. A lot of these songs we sing at worship today, we're singing and our hands are up and we're into it. And it's like, but what are these songs? These songs are songs of, of just less of me and more of you. I surrender. I surrender. It's you, Jesus. You've died. It's all for you, Jesus. That's what we sing. So, but, but, but with that, there's going to be people in our lives, as I put here. What will the people in your path you know, the path, think of your mission. So in our lives, in our path, in our journey, if you will, there are going to be many people, work associates, fellow students, you know, um, um, family, friends, whatever. There's going to be various people in our lives, and they, they'll think negatively of our mission. They might consider us, like how Jesus was called, you know, the worker of Beelzebub. We may be called things like Bible bashers, fanatics, zealots, fundamentalists, Unevolved, <laughs> you know, simpletons, whatever. They can call us whatever they want to call us. Are we prepared to take that and just say, you know what? That's fine. I got a mission. I'm on it. Do you get full support from your family? Maybe you do. Maybe you're not. I know a lot of the people we minister to, Cornerstone, a lot of people, a lot of the younger ones don't get very much support at all. In fact, you know, Robert's out here today. You know, and, he, he, and one, of the, one of his biggest struggles in life, he says, is that he feels alone in his family, you know? I don't want to get too much, too much personal into various people's, but, but let's just say this. There's a lot of people in our ministry have been there, that are still there, and I think we will see in the future, that don't get very much support at home, basically. If anything, they get antagonized. 
And, and, and so I praise God that we've got Christian families. You know, because our children need that support. There's a lot of children out there who, who are at that age, that, that age of where they're, they're open to spiritual things. And then you, you give them spiritual content and, and they kind of want to tease it, they want to look at it, they want to think about it, they want to go for it, but there's zero support at home. And that breaks my heart. Jesus may have had that. Because again, there's, there's the cross, that's his mission. Come on, Jesus, what's your mom going to feel about this? Dying on the cross? Come on, think about her feelings. Can't you wait another 30 or 40 years until she's, you know, an old age and she's gone and then you can die on the cross? You know, what about your brothers? And well, next slide, we'll deal with that. Family values. And this brings us to our text for this morning. Matthew 12, 46 says this. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd. So this is him talking, um, teaching about the kingdom things that we talked about in the background. Talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers. They stood outside. Not inside, not disciple, being discipled, but they're on the outside. And that's why I say I entitled this scripture, this, this sermon, when people don't get it. I mean, they're not, and that's why I put in the little, little section right there under the families there. No disrespect. They just haven't got it yet. His family didn't understand what Jesus' mission and the content and the seriousness of his mission. So his brothers and his mother are outside. Come on, Jesus. Let's, let's, you're being a bit silly here, maybe. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. But commentators, they say there's a good chance that they were very much so not behind his mission. Let's just say that. They just don't understand what his mission was about, this, this dying business, this, you know, confronting the Pharisees, you know, Come on, you're making a lot of enemies, Jesus. Cool down. So they want to speak to him, and then he replies up to the, the person who's making this comment. Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples. I like that. Because here he is pointing to his disciples. Who are his disciples? The disciples are those who say, what do you want of me, God? His disciples, disciples again means student. They sit before Christ to learn, to be changed. His disciples were there amongst him, and they're still here amongst us all. Disciples. We are his disciples. As he points at his disciples there, he points at his disciples here today, this morning. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So again, who, it, it, here's family. That's what I call his family values. Who is the father? The father is the head of the household. He's the chief. He's, he's the one who, who's spiritually responsible, who's financially responsible. He's the responsible chief of the home. And that father is the father in heaven. God. And he goes, we need to follow his instructions. We need to follow his order and his will. Anybody who disobeys the Father, is in rebellion against the Father. This respects the Father. And, and this culture can run the risk of losing their inheritance, lose their place. That's kind of the culture at the time. It's very serious. And so he's saying, what I, how am I to do? Am I to leave my calling? Am I to leave the... I like his calling. His calling, it, it, he makes it very general. I already talked about this calling being how he comes to teach and to minister and to heal and then the cross, right? But he, he generalizes it here for our benefit. 
because we all have a general calling as disciples, and that is to do the will of the Father. Okay? Jesus says, this is what I've been called to do. I know what I've been called to do. We ought to all have that same confidence. This is what I've been called to do. But ultimately, it can all be generalized, as in, I'm following the will of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we have to have that attitude, that heart, that mindset of, God, what do you want of me? What do I need to do? And of course, I put that little comment on the very bottom there for the benefit of the fact that many commentators, in this verse, John 7, 5, supports the fact that his mother and brother just didn't get it yet. It says in John 7, 5, for even his own brothers did not yet believe. Uh, many commentators don't see um, his brothers really start to follow Christ until after his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Now, I wonder about that. I think we all have our trials. We all have our life and our experiences. Maybe this was a trial. Maybe this is the testing. Maybe this is a growing up time for his brothers and for his mother. Maybe they had to see the cross. Maybe they had to surrender Jesus. Maybe at this point in life, they, 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 they didn't want to let Jesus go. Or, you know, but Jesus said, you can't hold on to me too tight, mom. You can't hold on to me too tight, brothers. I got to go to the cross. So maybe this is just as much for them to learn to let go. Because maybe in them letting go Jesus was them letting go their own ways and their own will, their own want, their own desire. And it wasn't until the cross maybe that they, maybe Mary just, just, just broke down and she finally believed and understood the brothers, maybe the same thing for them. Of course, I'm speculating because the scriptures are quite quiet on this. What the scriptures do say and do point out is that their brothers will eventually. In fact, uh, many commentators and, and uh, scholars believe that Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, and James, who wrote the book of James, were brothers of Christ. And if that's the case, then, then maybe this was their testing time, their maturing time, their time to grow spiritually. Next slide, please. So... Going on, Matthew 13. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. And such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While um, all the people stood at the shore, he told them many things in parables. So he didn't stop. He didn't go home to be with mom and you know, care for her and, and make her feel good about herself. And she didn't go hang out with the brothers and play you know, football or watch sports or whatever it is that they might have done, you know, eat falafel, I don't know. He, he didn't do that. He did his mission. And part of his mission is to teach people. So he didn't compromise. That same day, so he didn't go off to have chill out time. That same day, he does his mission. He goes and he teaches. And he teaches to a large crowd. Now, bear in mind, this large crowd we're going to see here, some get it and some don't, which is another reason why I named this, this, this message when people just don't get it. It's a large crowd, and they're very interested about Jesus. What is Jesus doing? He's doing a lot of miracles, doing a lot of fascinating things. What is this Jesus guy all about? They're very curious about him because he's a fascinating guy. But he's going to start teaching. And when he teaches, he's going to do what I call here in the very top there, raising the bar. You see, he's already taught in kind of general terms. He's already taught um, in, in the preaching sense, in the evangelistic sense. He, he's taught the kingdom of heaven, just like how John the Baptist did, and Jesus did do, and the apostles will do, the gospel you know, of repentance, change. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now believe, follow him, right? 
turning, repenting, changing, following. That's the message he's taught so far. But now he wants to raise the bar for the disciples, okay? And in raising the bar, the way I look at it, it's kind of like, um, I talked to my friend Ross, okay? He's, he teaches at the Strathclyde University. He, he tells me, first-year students, first-year students, it's just a mess, there's, there's, it's, a, it's a mix, and he, he hates teaching first-year students because they're notoriously known for not really caring. They're, they're, they're goofy, you know? Um, and he goes, because there's a mix. You have a very limited portion of them that are very serious about their academic life, while the rest are there just to kind of goof off. Maybe they think, oh, I'll give it a shot. No, I'll do that. I'll go to university. It sounds cool to me, you know. And they show up, and they kind of want to play their way from home, you know. And they, maybe they don't know how serious of a commitment it is, possibly. So they kind of, they're not really counted the cost to get there all the way to the end, to the degree. While a portion of them have counted the cost, and they're ready to go all the way to the end, the rest of them, have, they really haven't counted the cost yet, and they get distracted really easily. So when you get to, you know, level two or level three, the bar gets raised and raised and raised. And that's when you start seeing a lot of the students who aren't so serious disappear. So when you get into kind of your graduate level, you got a bunch of serious people <laughs> because they've paid a lot of money. They've put a lot of time into it and they're done there. I think that's what Jesus is doing here with disciples. Okay. He's raising the bar. He wants to teach deep, serious content. And he's going to do it using these things called parables. And that's what it says here. They told him many things using these things called parables. A parable, parabole in the Greek. To throw alongside, that's simply put. That's it, para, alongside, bole. It's a story. It's kind of like chucking alongside. So in a modern-day context, it would be like a sermon illustration, right? Like you'd expect going to... Bible study, teaching, whatever, an illustration to illustrate spiritual truths. So we're looking at the Bible, we get spiritual truths, and a lot of times we'll illustrate it with real day situations. That's what Jesus is doing. He's taking real day things that people are very familiar with and understand at the time, and he's throwing it down to explain deeper spiritual things. So again, by the way, the parable of the sower will be the first one we look at, but we're going to do that next week because I want to kind of look at you know, why parables first? And then, but the, but the parable of the sower will actually kind of complete our answer. Why parables, okay? But moving on in Matthew 13, 10, it says, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? So they're confused. Why? Why are you speaking in parables? Um, and, and Jesus' reply was, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Now, initially, when you read this, you think, well, that's not very fair. God, are you, that's not very fair, Jesus. Are you, are you like, hiding things from people? I, I thought you are here to preach the gospel and to illuminate things. No, he's not trying to purposefully hide things to confuse people. What he's trying to do, again, he's trying to raise the bar. And he's taken the spiritual knowledge and spiritual sensitivity in his disciples, and he's m- nurturing it. In order to do it, he's using these parables. Now, those who don't quite understand the spiritual ways. I use the word in tune. (laughs) Those who aren't yet quite in tune with what the Spirit's doing, it's going to be a bit confusing to them. They don't understand it because because they're not there yet. But does that mean Jesus stops? 
Does that mean we don't grow as disciples? Does that mean we don't get deeper? No, we have to keep going. We need to keep growing. We need to keep deeper. Even Paul said, I wish I can teach you meteor things to the church in Corinth, but I can't. I have to feed you milk like a baby. So we want to grow up. And there's going to be those who haven't quite got there yet, and so they need the gospel. They need reached out by the gospel and the basic knowledge of Jesus and what the gospel does for them. But he also needs to teach his disciples you know, as they mature, as they get, oh, I get it. And we, as a church, need that as well, right? So simply put, Christ's disciples, okay, those who live in accord to his will, as we've seen, are tuned in, are in tune with God's kingdom. Jesus is teaching them, taking them to the next level. So parables, as far as I see it, are really not meant to confuse He's not neener, neener, neener. <laughs> you don't understand what I'm saying. No, not meant to confuse, but to illustrate spiritual truths. Now, those who aren't quite spiritual yet, as we're going to see here, are going to be blind and deaf to it. because, of, Not because of God's, but because of their own hardness of their own hearts. Next slide, please. I'm going to throw a parable at you guys. Also known as a spiritual or a, a sermon illustration. You can call it a parable. You can call it a spiritual uh, um, illustration. So a lot of times we get new people coming in to our Wednesday night youth group, okay? And, I'm gonna, and of course, it happens at church. It happens in every aspect of our life and our ministry. But, I, but Wednesday night's really interesting to me. Reason why is it's in our home, okay? So we've got people coming in and checking out. They call it Danny's house or going to Scott and Danny's house for Bible study. Sometimes they call it kids group. Sometimes they call it youth group. Sometimes whatever. And we get new people coming in. Check it out. And if they've never been to church before, it can be kind of a weird thing for them. You know, because you walk into somebody's home. It's a flat and shots. And the first thing we do, it seems cool because we have dinner together. Okay, I'm cool with dinner. I like eating. These guys are going to feed me. I'm going to eat. And then after that, we play some games, we have some chit-chat, but then the next thing you know, this guy with this crazy beard comes out with a guitar, and he starts singing songs, and then everybody schools in their eyes, and they're singing songs, and if you haven't been there before, if you've been to church or any kind of youth group or Bible study before, it, it, and I, I feel for people who've never been there before, it looks a bit creepy. Oh, man, some kind of crazy cult we're coming into right now, and the kids are singing, I'm singing, and we're going for it, and they're like... This is weird. And my heart goes out to them. Why? Because they're not quite tuned in to spiritual things yet. And a big part of our spiritual life is reading the word of God, believing in it, talking about it, worshiping God, praying. And so we go, sometimes we go around the room and say, let's have prayer time. Pray for, pray for the person next to you. And if a person's kind of new and kind of not there yet, like, wait, you want me to pray? I mean, talking about really putting the pressure on someone, asking them to pray for somebody out loud. But I like to do it, especially for young people. Because, hey, you know what? It's time to grow up. Time to grow up spiritually. And if you're teenagers, you're old enough to do spiritual things. So let's do it. But my heart goes out to the newcomers. Because a lot of times they don't come back. Because it's just too much for them. I pray for them. The gospel needs to go out to them. And we continue to reach out to them. But I understand. And Jesus understands that. And that's why we're teaching these parables. He knows full and well some people just aren't going to get it. And they're going to walk away going, that was weird. So church, though, why bother? Why bother? Because spiritually tuned in people, us disciples, who are familiar with kingdom truths, as we are, the parables that Jesus is doing with, with his disciples are meant to give an abundance. An abundance. So you've got 
a good amount, we'll say, of spiritual knowledge and spiritual insight. But the teaching that comes from the word of God that Jesus wants to hear with his disciples and we do when we meet together, we have fellowship and we learn from the word of God and do Bible study, it's supposed to fill us up with an abundance of understanding. Fill in the gaps, if you will. I put the word mysteries here because he talks about mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of, of, of heaven. And so Matthew 13, 12a, it says here, whoever has, that's the disciples, those who have, they've got the spiritual in-tuneness, right? Will be given more, more insight, more maturity, more growth, and they will have an abundance, okay? Then, but moving on, Matthew 12, or 13 rather, 12, B, 13a, and to this I put, Lord, help those who are lost, our heart, our compassion as the evangelical church is to reach out to the lost. They may not get it, but they could. They could if the callous hearts soften, you know? Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And again, this has to do with insight and knowledge. So when we teach the parables, they don't get it. You teach them, they still don't get it. That makes sense? Like, I don't understand what you guys are all about. I don't understand this prayer business. I don't understand this worship business. I don't understand this, uh, you guys are weird. That's what he's saying here. Whoever does not have, they don't get it. Even what they do have will be taken away from them. You know, because there's no value to them. They're gonna cast it aside. This is why he speaks in parables. And he goes on, next slide, to say, and he compares this ministry to the ministry of Isaiah. Now, if you guys know much about Isaiah, he was told, he was fired up. Oh, his conversion was amazing. He was, he was a potty mouth. He swore a lot, you know? And so they put the, so he went and the, the angel took a piece of coal and, and he goes, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a dirty mouth and I live amongst the people of dirty mouth people. You know, it's, uh, you don't want to use me, God. And he goes, I'm going to use you. So he takes his tongue and he puts it into the coal of fire and he touches Isaiah's mouth because that's his mouth, his instrument. And what was used for, you know, lesser things, God's going to change it and use for mightier things. But here's the irony. It gets you all fired up. Isaiah 6. Read it. Go and read his testimony. His calling's fascinating. But then he ends chapter 6 with him saying, but guess what? Nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to care. What? Wait, hold on. Time out. My ministry base, let me get this right. This radical heavenly vision, this radical heavenly conversion experience, I'm going to go out as a prophet to talk to people about Jesus, or what God wants me to say, basically, that's a prophet, speaks the words of God, but nobody's going to listen? That's a rip, this is, this is a rip-off. Come on, give me a different calling. Speaking of, you know, pot and clay, you know, I mean, imagine being Isaiah. Here you go, Isaiah, you're a fantastic vase, but they're going to put you in storage and you're going to collect dust. Basically, that's what it is. Nay luck for Isaiah. But Jesus is going to identify with that when he receives this, this, this the reason why people don't listen, the reason why people don't get it. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear. So in a physical sense, right? In a physical sense, they see. In a physical sense, they hear. So they're not necessarily blind or, or, or deaf in a physical sense, okay? In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. So physically they can hear, but it doesn't click. They don't understand, Okay? For you will ever be seeing. So again, they can't see with their eyes, but they don't perceive. Again, what we're talking about here is spiritual things. Your ears can only hear sound waves, which are produced by a physical phenomenon. Your eyes can only see light that reflects, again, a physical phenomenon. 
But spiritual things are much deeper, much different kind of substance. And so you can see perfectly well, you can hear perfectly well, and still not get spiritual things. That's what Jesus is saying here. You will ever be hearing but never understanding. You will ever be seeing but never perceiving. But this is the reason why. For, another way you can translate the word for is because. Because this people's hearts have become calloused. God did not callous their hearts. Okay? Their circumstances may have affected the callousing of their hearts, whatever, their environment. But the people's hearts have become calloused because of their own will. Their hearts have become calloused through a series of decisions that they've made. They've turned their back on God. They've rejected God. We know through the people through studying the Old Testament in, 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 in Israel how they have constantly given up God to foreign idols and foreign gods. So they've calloused them their own hearts. This wicked generation, he's already diagnosed it, a wicked generation. This is the symptom, callousing of a heart. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. So again, they've shut their ears off, spiritually speaking. They've, shut their, they've closed their eyes, spiritually speaking. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn Again, what's the gospel message that we've learned so far with John the Baptist and with Jesus and the apostles is repentance, right? God is here. The Messiah, Yeshua, God has saved. Joshua, Jesus, he's here. Now turn. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now turn, repent. That's the message. It's consistent with this. Calloused hearts everywhere. Wicked generation everywhere. But they need to turn. Okay, they close their eyes. They harden their hearts. They close their ears. But here is hope. But if they would only open their eyes to see, if they would only turn their ears to understanding, if they would turn, if they would change their wicked ways. Again, here's a person's will all over this. It isn't God playing puppets with people, and playing games with people. Here he is calling out to people, saying, if you would only change your mind, if you would only change your will and change your way to match my will and my ways, then you would be healed. And then you would be disciples and be tuned in so you can crow too. So, people need to be saved. <laughs> they need the cross. This is why Jesus did not teach just moral lessons, but he went to the cross. Okay? This is his mission. Last slide. The beatitude of the disciple. So, who we are, disciples? Students of, of Christ. Here is Christ before you. Here's the cross before you. What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What are the, the disciples had to ask that question. Here's Jesus. Here's a multitude of people listening to Jesus teach and talk, and, and they had to make a decision. What are we going to do about this? Matthew 13, 16, 17 says this. That's why I call it a beatitude, because it's a blessed. But blessed are your eyes, because they see. Okay, we don't want to be proud and arrogant about it. We need to be humble about it. Be appreciative that God has made it possible through the death of Christ and the, and the filling of the Holy Spirit. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and hear what you hear but did not hear it. What's he talking about? He's talking about the unfolding of the gospel before them. These disciples had the privilege of seeing with, the, with all these Old Testament prophets and righteous people, 
they, 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 they were living in a bit of a, of a model. They couldn't really see things very clear. They just had what God gave them for the moment. But all pointed to the cross, all pointed to Jesus. He goes, you guys are privileged to be here, to experience this. And I say that we too are privileged because we have it on our laps. We have it in our history. We can look back at the cross and say, what a privilege it is to see what Jesus did. What a privilege to see that what God completed and what God has done for us through giving us his only son to die on the cross to save us. That we can have the spiritual capacity to understand, to be plugged in, to be born again, be saved, and to grow, to learn, to understand, to be developed, to have these life skills that are not just physical but spiritual. What a privilege the original disciples had. What a privilege we have. We can see Jesus if we only look at him. We can hear Jesus if we only listen to him.